This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Uh, so I want to introduce our panelist, our panelists. Um, so next to me is Dr. Ken Kosick, co-director of the Neuroscience Research Institute here at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Uh, Next to him, Rhonda Spiegel, who is CEO of the Alzheimer's Association California Central Chapter. And then Sarah Holt, the producer and director of the film, um, who worked with HHMI Tangled Bank Studios. And Dr. Francisco Lopera, director of the neuroscience group at Antioquia University in Colombia. And uh, we're very grateful that sitting next to him is the director of... Um, the center here, Christina Venegas, who has kindly offered to translate for Dr. LaPera. Um, so I wanted to start with Ken. As I mentioned earlier, Ken, you were kind of the instigator of this film um, when you met with Paula many years ago. Uh, what were you hoping for when you got involved and collaborated on this film, and did it fulfill your, your hopes um, very much fulfilled the hope. I, I'm really impressed. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there were so many years that uh, uh, Dr. Loper and myself and Lucia uh, worked in obscurity on this problem for, for, I was doing this for 25 years and Dr. Loper for even more. Um, and uh, talking to Paula and thinking about this film um, really. Uh, it made me feel that we really had a chance to uh, convey a little bit about decades, literally decades, of um, investigating a problem that was really serious for a group of people living in an obscure place that no one really knew about. Um, Dr. LaPera, uh, we understand and appreciate how protective you are of these families in Colombia. Were you at all reluctant to have them participate in the film? And what do you think now that you've seen the film? Do you feel like their participation was worthwhile? Que eh, se entiende que usted puede que tenga eh, problemas con la participación de la película o en participar en la película porque es muy protege, protege mucho a los pacientes. Entonces, ¿qué le parece ahora que sea? involucrado en este proyecto ¿cómo le pareció? Bueno, primero eh, quiero agradecerle a Ken Kosick que es el, la primera persona eh, el primer investigador del resto del mundo que se interesó en las familias de Colombia nosotros estábamos trabajando con estas familias y hace 25 años él se enteró estábamos estudiando Alzheimer genético y nos dio la mano y nos ha acompañado durante 25 años en el estudio de estas familias. Entonces, él es el primero que... First of all, I'd like to thank um, Ken Kosick um, for being interested in the work that we had been doing um, he found out about uh, the, this work 25 years ago 
and uh, was the first person to think that it was important enough, um, the work that we were doing and the people that we were working with, to come and work with us. Y en segundo lugar, quiero felicitar a Sara y al equipo de NOA porque han hecho una película extraordinaria, muy linda. And I want to thank Sarah and the team from NOVA because they've made a beautiful and extraordinary film. Creo que esta película logra recoger todo de una manera muy global el problema del Alzheimer. And I think the film captures, um, brings together in a global way all of the issues related to Alzheimer's. Sé que eh, las familias en Colombia van a estar muy orgullosas de haber participado, de estar participando en este ensayo clínico y también de, de ver que este problema en, en Colombia se ha hecho global. And I think, I believe that the families in Colombia will be very pleased to have participated in this clinical study and um, that this has been made a global issue and has been seen globally. Tenemos dificultades porque mucha gente quiere contar esta historia y hay muchos medios buscando, uh, y de hecho se han contado, esta historia se ha contado varias veces, pero creo que hoy vimos una historia eh, muy bien contada, muy, muy real y con mucho respeto por todos los participantes. We uh, believe there are issues, a lot of people want to tell the story and so um, they've been uh, protective in that way, but they believe, he believes that um, this has been done in a very respectful way and that the patients will be very happy to see this story and um, to also participate in this. Para mí es un honor ver esta historia contada por Noah y también creo que lo va a hacer para mi grupo y para las familias. For me it's an honor to see the story told in the way that it is and I believe it will be the same for the families um, that are participating and that are in the film. Ahora, el futuro de esta historia dependerá de lo que pase en el 2021. Si el medicamento funciona, esta historia tendrá un sentido muy diferente a si el medicamento no funciona. The story will have a very different um, sense, obviously, um, in 2021 when the results are revealed um, and um, it will affect, in the end, obviously, the story will be quite different at that time. O sea que en el 2021, si esto no funciona, no hay que volver a contar la historia, pero si funciona, Sara te va a tocar volver a contar la historia. ¿Cierto? So in 2021, if the, if the trial works, then we will go back and tell the story. But if it doesn't work, there will be no story to tell. And so, but if it does, Sarah will have to come back and tell yes. the story. Yeah. Continue yeah. telling the story. I hope so. Well, speaking of Sarah, I want to get to you too. Um, what was your goal in, in telling the story? And what were some of the biggest challenges you faced and well, surprises you found? You know, it's really a challenge to try to make a film about clinical trials because most of them are not going to be unblinded during your period of filming. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to introduce a trial, follow characters, and there's no payoff. So I was very lucky that one trial I could actually follow a little bit of the mm -hmm. process. Um, and I was, imp I, I hoped I could help the audience understand how difficult they were to run. Um, they were difficult to film because everything's blinded, no one wants you to film anything, you know, they don't it's want you to have secret. access. Um, 
But it did impress me how important they were. And you got, I mean, I got swept up at Genentech being there today, the day before they were looking at their data, thinking, oh, I think it's going to work. And then it, it really didn't. But um, That was scary. <laughs> it made me, but, but something good came out of it because they realized they had to go with the high mm-hmm. dose, and that gives Columbia a chance now for having a chance because they were giving the low dose in Columbia. So it just showed me how important it is to do these trials. And just this week, there was a huge, well, just this month, there was a huge trial, 12,000 people for a drug that lowers the bad type of cholesterol. Everyone had high expectations, and the data revealed it didn't work. And it just shows you, you've got to do these trials to get the answer. And, you know, I think it's hopeful these drugs were seeing promising signs. But, we, but the next few years are going to be really important to tell us if we're on the right track. Yeah. I mean, speaking of these challenges, Rhonda, uh, the number of people suffering from Alzheimer's is so staggering. How great is the need to educate people about the disease, and and what do you think the general public really needs to know to help them understand, and to um, to cope with, you know, what it, to have what it takes to fight against it. I think it's a real curve. Um, certainly, there's a large portion of the public who are personally touched by the disease, and as a result. Um, what we find they want more of than anything else is how to cope and how to help the person that I love. And um, one of the, the roles that we play to those families is exactly that. We educate the caregiver. We have workshops. We work with individual families. Um, what are the skills you need? How do you help somebody brush their teeth? How do you help somebody to take a shower? I mean, some basic activities of daily living, and, and that's what families want. Give us the tools that we can live with for the next 10 to 20 years. For the general public, there's a real, I would say there's a mixed crowd. There are people who very much want to know what's going on and what can we do to help. I've not been touched, but I know somebody that does. I want to know more and I want to know how I can take action to make a difference. But there's still a part of our population who really doesn't want to deal with. It's, it's scary. Um, just saying the word is scary. And, um, and, and one of our challenges is speaking to... Um, it's easy to speak to the people who want to speak to us. It's harder to speak to people who are trying to ignore the problem. But the problem is too great and way too significant to all of us to not to not listen and not find out what, what can be done. Um, Ken, as you say in the film, the only answer is research. Did you, when you said that, were you, did you mean more clinical trials or do you mean basic research or do you mean both? And what's the difference? And are the resources in place that we need to, to put into all of, all of that? I'm really glad you asked that question because that, uh, that's something that concerns me and I think many people right now. Um, when we compare where we are in research with regard to cancer and Alzheimer's, um, Alzheimer's, uh, we know so little, and yet the toll is quite similar. The uh, uh, Alzheimer's research, uh, most of what of Alzheimer's remains a mystery with cancer we have some really fundamental understandings. We know why cells divide. We have a lot. We now have knowledge of oncogenes and many different fundamental ideas about the problem toward which we can direct therapies. 
Alzheimer's, uh, because we know so little, and because the need is so great, and patients are indeed so desperate, really, sadly, that we sometimes will jump to clinical trials prematurely to start to test a drug because there's great pressure to do so without the fundamental basic science knowledge in place. So I, my own personal view on this, which I um, hope is possible to, we're, we're making a lot of attempts in the next couple months to communicate this a great deal uh, more nationally, that um, there's a lot of fundamental work that needs to be done in the Alzheimer field, not to, to neglect clinical trials, but we need to get that fundamental understanding in place. And you're going you're to come with us to D.C. next week, That's right. right. Have another screening in Washington. Um, how much, in terms of the causes, I don't know if you want to take this or Dr. LaPera as well, but how much of the genetic story do we understand about Alzheimer's? Clearly there's one story here in Colombia, but um, you know, there's early onset, and, but what about for late onset Alzheimer's? Yes. What do we know about what causes it? So uh, less than 1% of people have these very serious mutations that lead to the disease at an early age. And as it says in the film, when they get the mutation, they get the disease. It's very clear cut. Over 99% of the people get the disease for reasons we don't, we don't know. There are some genetic risks. You have a little more risk if your parents have the disease or a sibling. But for 99% of the people, the disease remains really quite unknown. However, almost all of the research that goes on, because the very few clues we have come from this 1% that have the mutations, almost all the research is focused on those mutations that cause the disease, the early onset disease. So in a way, the people in Colombia are, although it's an obscure group of people, their problem is informing the world as to our direction where to go with this disease. Because it's clear there. Because it's so clear. La pregunta de ella era para los dos en parte, pero decía que tanto desde el punto de vista genético, que tanto se sabe sobre sobre el Alzheimer. Y entonces él decía que, bueno, usted entendió, ¿no? Sí. Quisiera agregar lo siguiente. Pienso que la forma genética de la enfermedad de Alzheimer es una ventana privilegiada para estudiar la enfermedad. Hay quienes piensan que son dos enfermedades diferentes, el Alzheimer genético y el Alzheimer esporádico, que es el que sufre la mayoría de, la, de los afectados en el mundo. Pero probablemente eh, tienen muchas cosas en común y el genético es una ventana privilegiada. The genetic window opens up actually a privileged um, a view onto the disease that is quite different from that uh, aspect of Alzheimer's that is not uh, genetically uh, determined. So it is actually quite important. Did I get that? You're yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, I want to open it up to questions from the audience in just a minute, but first I just wanted to ask um, you and I don't know, Dr. LaPera and maybe Rhonda about getting people into clinical trials and the challenges involved there? How difficult is it? Um, do we have enough people participating in clinical trials? What are, 
what are some of the issues, um, concerns of patients who are considering joining clinical trials? I think it's important to acknowledge that one of the reasons that clinical trials take as long as they do is because of the numbers of people who are signing up for them. The more people that are willing to participate in clinical trials, the more quickly we would have the results of those trials. Um, and, and thank you because this is an opportunity for me to make certain that everybody in this theater knows that there is a, um, a program that the Alzheimer's Association has called uh, Trial Match. And every one of you should leave with a card and get on your computers and find out about it. You can enter as a perfectly well, healthy individual, and you will be given information as clinical trials become available that will eventually need well, healthy individuals, as well as those of you who may fear your own symptoms or know others who do. The more we can do to bring people and science and clinical trials together, the more quickly we'll get some of these answers and be able to move forward. Dr. LaPera, did you want to say something about the challenges? La pregunta era, tenía que ver qué tan difícil, cuáles son los, los grandes eh, obstáculos y problemas en, en que la gente entre en estos eh, estudios. Sí, cuando íbamos a empezar el ensayo clínico en Colombia, yo pensé que sería muy fácil encontrar las 300 personas voluntarias que necesitamos. At the beginning in Colombia, I thought it would be very easy to find the 300 people to go into the clinical trial. Y hemos registrado más de 5.000 personas de estas familias y, y, y tenemos dificultad para, para tener los 300 que necesitamos. Um, we've registered uh, 5.000 people um, and that, you know, that are part of this group. Um, but we are having difficulty in having the 300. It's difficult to gather all the characteristics to participate, for instance, because it's younger people. Um, they cannot get pregnant in five years' term. It's a five-year period. Um, that they have to participate in, and so it's difficult to get people to meet all of those characteristics, Pero, which is very demanding. Sí, de todas maneras, lo que está claro en este momento es que, aunque aún no hemos completado los 300 y es, aspiramos a tener los 300 voluntarios durante el resto de este año, con la, los que se han involucrado hasta el momento, vamos a ir hasta el final. Ya el estudio no tiene riesgo de ser cancelado por el número de participantes. So there's no danger that the study will be canceled because of the fewer number of participants, but we are committed to the number of people who have entered the study and we're hoping that, you know, we'll get to that 300, but at the point right now we are with the group that we have and hoping to get more. Y lo más interesante es que la gente que ha decidido participar en el estudio está firme. And those people who have decided to participate in the study are all in with the study, are very committed. Yeah, it's a big, it sounds like that study in particular is a big commitment. Now, is every clinical trial that, that big a commitment for people who want to participate? No. Well, people, people say, you know, I would like to join a trial, I just don't want to get the placebo. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. But at the end of the trial, 
if, a, if the drug seems promising, everyone who's in the trial will get the drug. If you've been in the placebo is that group... It's much standard now. It, the standard is, is that when... Mm-hmm. It's usually the trials are 18 months. Mm-hmm. And at the end, if the drug seems promising, everyone who's been getting the placebo has the option to take the drug. And essentially, then you're getting access to a drug that is right. not available right. widely. I'd love to open it up to questions. So the trials are to eliminate the plaques, not the tangles, but the plaques? That's right. The, uh, the, the drug that's being given in Colombia and elsewhere at the moment is an antibody that's directed at the amyloid in the plaque. Right now, the tangle is not yet being addressed, which is another reason that um, the, this trial may be successful to remove the amyloid, but the patients may not get better because you have to also remove the tangles. Right. I mean, there are a few, two or three drugs, I think, just now beginning to go into the early phase one that are trying to stop the spread of tangles, but it's very early days. I mean, is the overall the, the hope in our understanding of the disease, although we don't, there still is a lot unknown, but that there's this gradual buildup of plaque before the tangles really get going, and is the hope that if we can attack the plaque early on, we'll never get to that, to the point of having tangles. tangle stage. Yeah, I, that's very much one hypothesis, mm-hmm. um, but you heard um, Risa say mm-hmm. in the movie that um, you know, we all collect a little bit of tangles in mm-hmm. the brain, so mm-hmm. it's, there's always this a long-standing debate in the field about the, which, to it, uh, which of the two pathologies to attack, uh, mm-hmm. in this, to attack more intensely and drug discovery. But so the, the key word there is a hypothesis, that we, we still hypothesis. don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about the difficulties of getting the numbers of people you want uh, in the trials. And so I'm thinking about diagnosis in general. And I'm wondering, um, what, what's happening on the medical front in terms of general diagnosis of Alzheimer's at those earlier, you know, the mild, mild stages. For example, just going for your physical exam and having a doctor do some of those simple tests, you know, catching it earlier, catching some of those mild symptoms as early as possible, those would be the people I would, I would see immediately wanting to get into trials. Anything happening on that front, on the actual medical front? Yes, there are, um, in addition to the trial in Colombia, there are two other what we call prevention trials. And um, one of them is designed very much uh, like you described. It's being done by uh, Risa Sperling, who you saw in the movie. And the, in that trial, people who um, are getting up in years, uh, maybe around 70 years old, would go in and get a scan to see if they have amy- any amyloid in the brain, but not yet any symptoms. And if they fall into that category, they then are eligible for a prevention trial. Those are very inter- uh, expensive tests, and I, I wonder if whether the insurance companies would want to pay for those, whether people who then tested positive would be somehow marked by the insurance companies. That's, it's all speculation. There was another thing that you guys said a while ago, and that's that the incidences of this are going up and up. Is that due to better diagnosis, or is it actually growing? And if so, I guess what I've heard from you is that nobody really knows why that is. 
or well, is it because we're living yeah. longer? Yeah, the, the, the probably the, the main reason that the, the incidence is going up is because the baby boomers are now entering the age of risk. That's the main driver right now. I think it's important to recognize that science has the formula, and if we give the resources to the scientists, if, if Congress gives more money to the NIH for research, then we will do what we've successfully done for the top 10 causes of death. We've lowered the death rate for cancer, for diabetes, for stroke, for HIV. We just haven't given that same level of resources to the scientists who are looking for the cure for Alzheimer's disease. Does anyone know how much money NIH is budgeting for Alzheimer's versus cancer, for, for example? Cancer has been funded very generously by NCI, which is part of NIH, for many decades now, and I have a hunch that Alzheimer's is not doing nearly as well. And what are the promises being made, or what are the projections out there? So about four years ago, if you looked at the budgets that the NIH had for research, you would find that cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all of those were in the billions of dollars. At that time, Alzheimer's was funded at about $450 million, so not even half a billion. Over the last four years, because of the advocacy of all of you, along with the Alzheimer's Association, we were given an historic increase in funding just last year. And, and it has been incremental over each of the four years, but we now have $990,000 billion, a million dollars. So we're just shy of the $1 billion mark. Scientists tell us that $2 billion is our target and that $2 billion over the next 10 years will treat and cure the disease. So we are feeling optimistic that our, our representatives are hearing it. Um, I think everybody is more aware of the disease, the horrors of it, and the consequences of it. Um, and I think that over the next two to three years, we'll see that jump even more from the billion that we're at to the two billion that we need to be. I was wondering if you are testing people with Alzheimer's for heavy metal toxicity, particularly mercury. I'm reading a book called Medical Medium by Anthony Williams, who channels a voice from spirit, and he claims in this book that Alzheimer's is caused by mercury toxicity and that it's passed down through generations from ancestors who have it, and it just keeps going. So I was wondering if, you, if there's any connection that has been made or any testing in that area. Uh, um, so there have been uh, very thorough epidemiologic studies looking for associations between heavy metals and other uh, factors in the environment that may be contributing to this disease. Uh, for a long time, people thought that there might be an association with aluminum, that turned out not to be true. And so far, there has not been really any good evidence that Alzheimer's is related to mercury. That's not to say that uh, mercury is not a very severe toxin, and it, there's every reason in the world to eliminate it from the environment, but we do not have a good uh, correlation between mercury toxicity and the plaques and tangles in the Alzheimer uh, picture. So, does, so do, are you saying that the people that have Alzheimer's have specifically been tested for mercury toxicity? Uh, it's usually done in a little bit differently. That is that 
uh, it's done by looking at correlations in which you get you measure mercury levels and you or you measure or you look at a population with Alzheimer's and see if you can find any relationship. And there's absolutely no statistical relationship between the two groups. Speaking of environment, are there anything are there any things that we know of that do increase risk in the environment or in lifestyle and the way we behave and the things we eat or the amount of exercise? Is there evidence that sees any real correlation between yeah. lowering well, or increasing risk? Probably the the biggest environmental uh, issue that we have that may tilt people more toward the disease than not is our um, economic disparities. If you uh, do not have uh, access to vegetables and fresh food, then your risk goes up because it's true. Diet does contribute to this disease. If you live in a neighborhood where there's no gym or you're not exercising, then your risk goes up. And if there's one lifestyle factor that is unequivocally associated with the disease, it's um, a sedentary lifestyle. That is, that is really a big one. Um, mental challenges. You know, all the things we hear about where there are some lifestyle factors that may help us are all factors which are more challenging to find uh, among groups that are economically not as well off. But so there is some evidence supporting those correlations. A lot of evidence. Okay. Speaking of economic factors, I'm just curious, as researchers... How, are, how is your motivation affected knowing that all of this you know, money that is going behind the research and all of this, that with the patents and the pricing, that at least for a while, probably only the extreme wealthy will be able to benefit from your work, to be able to take these drugs? How, how does, I don't know how much control you guys have over that aspect, but does that enter into your minds at all? You can look at this in two ways. You could say that... Um, uh, a very wealthy person would have more access to a drug, which is true, because these drugs will probably be expensive. But you could also say that a wealthy person will be the guinea pig to figure out whether they're going to work. And uh, so there is a, there's two sides to this coin. The system we live in, um, you know, these, the, the motivation for pharmaceutical companies to do this work are, is driven by patent protection And uh, I think without that in place, um, it would be very, very hard to drive the research as intensely as it's being done. So I feel like a big hurdle in drug delivery for Alzheimer's is crossing the blood-brain barrier. So I was wondering for what they mentioned, if the antibody therapies have an easier time crossing over than, like, synthetic drugs. Um, Okay, I'll take that one. I understand that. So the question was whether that the, the it's a very serious issue about how if you give a drug if you take a pill you put it into your blood how it gets into the brain we call that the blood brain barrier it's a big problem for medications that have to get to the brain we know that when you give an antibody about one percent or less of it can get through into the brain which is why you need to give a big dose. Fortunately, the antibody is not toxic. So we can give a big dose, and it looks like that 1% that gets in may be sufficient to show some efficacy. You were talking in the film about tau. 
uh, this protein that has some relationship to the tangles. And I just wanted you to elaborate on that, what you know about it. Uh, tau is a normal brain protein. We all, ha- we all have it in our brain. It's, uh, it's something that is used to, um, it serves to move uh, different molecules around in the cells. And uh, so it's very important. But then something happens that we don't understand when this uh, normal protein misfolds and then it begins to aggregate. It sticks together with other tau molecules until it uh, aggregates into this long, long rope-like structure that eventually strangles the cell. And there's something about it that's almost like contagious or that it, it spreads there is another hypothesis that has come along lately. Uh, you, I think most people here have heard of mad cow disease or prion disease in which a protein can move from one cell to another cell and the misfolded protein in one cell would then template the misfolding in the neighboring cell. And that's how what people think the mad, how mad cow disease works. There's a theory out there that Tau may be spreading in the same way. But again, a hypothesis. We don't again, a hypothesis. Okay. I was wondering, could you compare or give us an idea what Aricept is relative to these drugs that you're looking at now? Mm-hmm. So um, the, there are a few drugs, like an Aricept is one of them, that ha- have been approved by the FDA for Alzheimer's. None of those drugs that are currently approved are disease-modifying drugs. You take the drug, the disease still marches on. All these drugs that are currently approved do. All they do is they may mitigate symptoms by a little bit, not slow the disease one iota. The search that's now on is to find a disease-modifying drug. There are other forms of dementia that are not Alzheimer's, I believe. How is Alzheimer's and much more serious for, for, for the elderly folks in the audience um, who suffer you know, memory loss from time to time but don't have Alzheimer's or may not be in the early stages? How do, how do other forms of dementia differ from Alzheimer's? ¿Cómo se diferencian las diferentes formas de demencia con Alzheimer? Para la gente que tiene, de repente se le olvidan cosas, pero que no necesariamente tienen Alzheimer, entonces, ¿cómo se puede diferenciar las diferentes formas? Sí, hay muchas formas de demencia. La más común es la enfermedad de Alzheimer y que se caracteriza por depósitos de dos basuras, amiloide y tau. Pero hay otra demencia, por ejemplo, muy común que se llama demencia frontotemporal, donde solamente se deposita tau u otro tipo de proteínas, pero nunca se ve amiloide en esa demencia. Well, that was a tough one. <laughs> so, um, there, the most common uh, form of dementia then is the Alzheimer's, but then uh, where there is amyloid and tau, Right? Yes. That's Alzheimer's. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. So then there is um, another form of dementia where there is a frontal lobe. Um, this is the frontotemporal, frontotemporal dementia, we call it, where yeah. you only get the tau yeah, pathology exactly. and no amyloid. Y hay otras como la enfermedad de Huntington, 
que se deposita otra basura que se llama juntintina. Y la demencia por priones, en la cual se deposita otra basura que se llama proteína priónica. And there is another. Oh, you're going to have to help me. On this is the, what he's talking about now is the mad cow disease. Oh, the prionis. The prionis. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. porque unas afectan más la memoria, otras afectan más el comportamiento, otras pueden afectar eh, presentar alucinaciones o trastornos psiquiátricos. Entonces cada una tiene su perfil clínico diferente. So they differentiate um, themselves because some affect behavior, some affect memory, um, and so they differentiate themselves in the characteristics of how they affect people. For people um, dealing perhaps with family members with dementia, um, particularly memory loss dementia, is it the case that we still don't, you can't really diagnose it unless you can see the brain in some way. And now we're seeing into the brain with scanning. Is that, it used to be that you couldn't diagnose Alzheimer's until you yeah. could do it until yeah. death and you could do an autopsy, right? right. But so diagnosis has really changed it's, lately, right? It's changed, it's, it's almost completely changed. The, it's absolutely true that uh, until recently to diagnose Alzheimer's disease definitively, you needed to examine the brain under the microscope. A clinician could make a very good guess, but they were sometimes wrong. Maybe they could be right as much as almost 95%. So usually right, but not always. Now we have these scanning methodologies in which you can see amyloid and tau in the brain of a living person. And that's really changing everything. You know, I was impressed in the clinical trials Before they did scanning, a third of the patients admitted to the trials diagnosed with Alzheimer's ended up not having plaques or tangles. So it wasn't until they could actually start doing the scanning that they could start really getting better data. So they had dementia caused by something else, yeah. but yeah. still maybe undiagnosed. Yeah. Y para resumir el tema de las diferencias en las demencias, podría, podríamos decir esto, que todas las demencias es un problema de manejo de basuras en el cerebro. So to summarize the issue about the different types of dementia, you could say that all dementias have to do with the way in which this garbage is handled by the brain. Y muy probablemente si logramos eh, limpiar el cerebro de una basura, si aprendemos a limpiar una basura, vamos a aprender a limpiarlas todas. So possibly if we learn to clean up The garbage, we might, at least one, we might be able to learn how to clean them all up. Uh, having spent 25 years working on Alzheimer's disease myself, I have to say the presentation in the film was really awesome and the work from uh, Dr. Kosick and LaPera really, um, really excellent and, and motivating. Um, as uh, Dr. LaPera just said, uh, one method is taking care of the trash, the other might be preventing its production. And so we talked a lot about um, antibodies removing amyloid today. Another set of very um, hopeful drugs that are in development are molecules that can prevent the production of amyloid in the first place. So I think it's a very optimistic time 
for the uh, field. And maybe if uh, Dr. Kosick has any comments on these uh, beta secretase inhibitors that are in development, uh, again, it may just add to the idea that this, this is not a one-shot-and-done deal. There's a lot of drugs in development, and it's a, a very exciting time. Yes. The, uh, so what uh, James was uh, referring to was that there are uh, the uh, biology works with different pathways. There are these, all these routes to, for something to happen. You can get cancer in many different ways. You can get Alzheimer's in many different ways. So there's a whole cascade of events uh, that happen. And uh, he's suggesting that maybe we can not just use antibodies, but target other places in the biochemical cascade that leads to Alzheimer's disease. And I think uh, that I agree with you that there really is a lot of uh, enthusiasm for these other approaches, um, but we also still have an awful lot to learn. I think that's a great place to end. Um, there's a lot going on. Progress is being made. We still have a long way to go. I want to thank you all very much for coming tonight, and I want to thank again the Carsey Wolf Center, Christina Venegas, UC Santa Barbara, and the Alzheimer's Association California Central Chapter, and all our panelists. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.